is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Kalarsep, and I'm coming to you from Portland, Oregon, with the Portland Timbers play host to New York City FC in the 2021 MLS Cup Final. And we'll definitely be digging into that match and all the matchups and what to expect in what should be a memorable day at Providence Park here in Portland. Uh, but first, we have so many things to touch on in the American soccer world. Uh, it's been a week and so much has happened in the past week. Some good, some bad, uh, but plenty of news items to get into, whether it's Americans abroad news, uh, U.S. men's national team conversation, and, and obviously other MLS news that has, that has happened over the past week. And um, I'm not, I, I am going to start with the MLS Cup final, obviously, uh, here in Portland, the Timbers playing host to NYCFC in what will be a sold out Providence Park. And the fans were already lining up here in Portland uh, for their tickets, uh, I believe on Tuesday, uh, you know, sleeping in, uh, in their sleeping bags in their tents, waiting for their general admission seating for the Timbers Army. Uh, my understanding is like 75 percent of the of the seating or the tickets that were made available for the an, an entire match went to the Timbers supporters. And it's going to make for an unbelievable atmosphere. Uh, it's actually my first time here in Portland since 2014, since the MLS All-Star Game. But it's actually my first, it will be my first Timbers home match since the 2013 uh, Western Conference Final, which they lost to Real Salt Lake. And that night, I remember just being an unbelievable night, the, the atmosphere, the support. And even though the Timbers lost, the, the supporters after the match just wouldn't stop singing for their team and it was a beautiful moment. It was a beautiful scene. I still remember it. I, I still have the videos that I took on my phone from that night. And uh, just it's just exciting to think what the scene will be like on Saturday uh, in an actual championship game. And uh, it, it's going to be a good one. Uh, obviously, before the playoffs began, I'm not sure who would have had this particular final. But at the same time, I don't know if we should be totally surprised. Because when you think about the Timbers, their team that that has won before, their team that has made finals before, and they have got some killers on that team. And uh, you know they they won the MLS's back tournament last year. Uh, they made it to the MLS Cup final and lost to Atlanta United in 2018. And of course in 2015, uh, a, a quite a different team, but still it, it, the Timbers did win MLS Cup in 2015 uh, under Caleb Porter and. There's a sprinkling of, of players still here from that that team, and uh, you know they have they have some real winners on this team. So going into the playoffs, you kind of felt like, look, the Timbers they they have the capability between some of the players that they have who can deliver in the big spots, and also you want to talk about Giovanni Severisi. Uh, I mean, he, he look at his resume. He won multiple titles with the New York Cosmos and the NESL. And now since he's been with the Timbers, he's, you know, he, he led them to a final in 2018 when not many people would have had them getting to the final. Uh, he did win the MLS's back in tournament. And, and I know people look at that MLS's back tournament and say, well, what does that mean? And, you know, how much should we, how much weight should we give that, that accomplishment? But it still mattered. It's still, everyone was playing for it. It was, uh, it was a pretty competitive uh, tournament and the Timbers did win it. And here they are now getting to the final they beat Real Salt Lake. They uh, they they halted Real Salt Lake's uh, Cinderella so, uh, story, their streak, and to do so without having Sebastian Blanco in your starting lineup, without having Dairon Espria in your lineup, uh, that you have to give Severese a lot of credit and the Timbers. And now they're at home. They're getting to host NYCFC, a team that I know going into the playoffs, everyone had New England as kind of the easy pick to to get to the final. But this NYCFC team is is a, a very good team, 
and they did have a, a really rough stretch in the fall uh, where they, they had like I think one win in 10 and, and they just things were not going their way. They lose Anton Tinner home to a, to a torn Achilles and, and it's looking like the season is going to be lost. You know, they lose twice in a row to the Red Bulls in the, in the rivalry in the Derby. And Ronnie Dyla's team did not look good. I mean, there was even a point where you're kind of like, wait, are they going to fall out of the playoff picture? But you know what? Credit to them. They got it together. They straightened it out. They turned things around after that big blowout win against DC United. And they've now rolled into the playoffs with some momentum. And we've seen it. We saw them outplay New England, uh, a New England team that obviously felt the, the, the effect of not having played in almost a month. But still, credit to NYCFC. They played great. Uh, they beat Atlanta in the first round. They beat New England, and then they go to Philly. And obviously, we all know what happened with the, with the Union uh, missing eleven players due to due to COVID protocols. And, and obviously, that's de- that's just devastating. And it, and it, it wasn't it wasn't something you'd wish on anybody. Uh, and it was unfortunate. And we'll never know if the Union could have beaten NYCFC if things were different. Uh, I personally, I think they had a very good chance if they had their full squad that they could have beaten NYCFC, but it didn't play out that way. And still credit to Jim Curtin and the union, because with the patchwork team that they were able to put out there on Sunday, uh, they gave them a go. They gave them, they pushed them to the brink and uh, it took a late goal. It took a Tylus Magno goal uh, for them to turn it around. And union actually had the lead there for a moment. Uh, Alex Callan's own goal, which gave the union the lead for like a minute. And then NYCFC responded and you have to give them credit for the way that they responded. That showed some real championship heart because it's easy to, you know, you're, you're on the road in a, in a packed stadium, Subaru park, the fans are against you. You you score an own goal and it's one zero. And the place is going nuts. It very it could have been very easy to to fold up at that point. And what happened? NYCFC they responded immediately. Maxi Morales with the equalizer, and then um, that just completely turned turned things around. And and obviously it's unfortunate for the Union to to, to lose the game the way they did with a mistake, a, a blunder. Uh, Embizo uh, loses the ball in his own penalty area, and NYCFC turns right around and converts that into the winner. But credit to NYCFC. They deserve to be in the final. They're a good team, very good team. Uh, and they have a real chance here against this uh, Portland Timbers team. This is a, a completely wide open final because both sides have their their characteristics, their qualities, their strengths. Um, obviously, the Timbers being at home is a big bonus for them. And obviously, their, their track record playing in big games and in finals uh, between the players who took part in those past MLS Cup finals and in the winning of the MLS's back tournament. And then you have Gio Savarese, who his his track record of knock, uh, in knockout round competitions, both before the Timber, when he was with the Timbers, when he was with uh, the Cosmos, and now, it's hard to argue. I mean, he gets it done. And he knows how to put together the right game plan and also how to make the right in-game adjustments when you're talking about in championship games, in finals. He's done it multiple times. And uh, for that reason, you kind of give the Timbers the edge, especially if Sebastian Blanco is able to start. Because for me, for all the talent, all the talent that's in this game, for all the multi-million dollar signings NYCFC might have, the best player in this game, no offense to, no offense to Tati Castellanos, but the best player in this game is Sebastian Blanco. And the reason I say it is because he is a guy who we've seen time and again, delivers when the lights are brightest. When the, when the trophy is on the line, when it's do or die elimination games, Blanco puts it in another gear. And, and not every player does that. Not every player can, 
you know, already have a high level and then take it to that extra level when the pressure's on. Not everyone responds that way. And, and Sebastian Blanco is absolutely that type of player. And for that reason, he is that kind of wild card that if he is close to 100% and he can start, then that is, that, that's the difference right there because it's really close between these teams. But for me, between him and Savarisi, his track record in finals, you give them the edge, slight edge. However, having said all that, NYCFC has a real chance because they have quality, top to bottom, from Tati Cassianos, the MLS Golden Boot winner, to the goalkeeper, Sean Johnson, who's had a, a great career year and has stepped it up in the playoffs even more. So, I mean, for me, this is going to be a great final. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, this is actually my 20th. This is going to be, knock on wood, my 20th MLS Cup final. Um, my first MLS Cup final was actually in 2002, the LA Galaxy beating the New England Revolution. And uh, I still remember taking the trip up to New England for that one. And, and, and part of the reason I actually went was because at the time, uh, the, the Metro Stars, the New York Metro Stars, the team that I was covering at the time, had fired their coach. They fired Octavio Zambrano. There was a lot of talk about who would replace him. And Bob Bradley's name had been making the rounds. And it, and it was my understanding that, that Bob Bradley would be in would be at MLS Cup and his agent would be at MLS Cup. So, you know what? It was an opportunity to go try to track down the story. So I went, MLS Cup. Didn't know, didn't know much about MLS Cup at that point, even though I had already been covering the league for three years. But, you know, I, I hadn't gone to a final. But I went to that final, and it was an experience. It was, uh, funny enough, it was another case of a home team hosting a final. And back then, it just worked out that way because the, the MLS Cup final was always going to be uh, in Foxborough, Massachusetts. It just so happened that New England made it to the final. And... Uh, and, and it happened to also be a weekend, I believe, where the New England Patriots had a bye week. So you had like 60,000 at Gillette or whatever it was called at the time. And uh, it was a great, great atmosphere. There were no goals until the very end. I think I think it went to extra time or it was a stoppage time. Uh, Carlos Ruiz with the winner uh, scoring it on my guy, Aiden Brown. And uh, it, it's kind of crazy when I, I went back actually uh, on my flight out to Portland, I looked out, um, I looked up that game, and I looked who played in this game, and it's crazy if you think about it. Alexi Lalas and Taylor Twelman, the two now TV pundits, they started in that game. They were on opposite sides in that game, and uh, so as, as well as Alejandro Moreno, another another TV uh, analyst now who played in that game. Uh, new Chicago Fire head coach Ezra Hendrickson played in that game. Uh, he was with the Galaxy, started. Uh, and funny enough, now he is the head coach of the Chicago Fire, where on his staff now is Aiden Brown, who is the goalkeeper for New England. So in that in that 2002 final. So it's just uh, it's just funny how things come full circle. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been lucky 20 in a row, 20 MLS Cups in a row and MLS Cups. They always seem to deliver. They always seem to deliver uh, some drama, some great goals, some great endings, some great finishes. Um, I hope I don't spoil it. I hope I don't, uh, you know. Uh, we, we don't end up with a stinker, but it, I mean, just thinking about it, I can't remember many like really, really bad MLS Cup finals. I just can't. Um, I feel like they've always been, there's always been drama. There's always been some good back and forth. Um, you haven't really seen that I can even remember like a proper like blowout, you know, like a just mismatch 4-0 or anything like that. I mean, maybe I'm just not thinking about it right now, but there's been just some great competitive matches, and I think this one's going to be the same. 
And um, what it really comes down to is on one hand, you have the home team. They're going to have that home support. They have a coach who's won in finals before. They have a player in Sebastian Blanco who can win a game uh, under the biggest of pressure. But they also have a defense that has been vulnerable. And I think that's going to be the question. And the key is, can the Timbers defense stay organized? Can the Timbers defense avoid the mistakes that, that are going to put them in a hole? And NYCFC has the weapons to punish those kind of mistakes. So, you know, credit to the Timbers. Their defense has actually done very well in the playoffs. They, they've, they've cleaned things up. They've been able to avoid those mistakes and take, the, take their play to a different level. Obviously, look at Lyris Mabiala, uh, multiple goals in the playoffs, playing very well defensively. But you have to look at the body work in the, in the regular season. And you know what? The Timbers defense at times definitely showed some vulnerability. Uh, as far as NYCFC goes, they, I mean, they, they, they're a pretty balanced team right now. And obviously losing Anton Tinnerholm was a big blow. Uh, Tavon Gray has stepped in now, the youngster, um, at right back. And he's going to be tested, absolutely. He's, that, that's that's going to be one of the keys for the Timbers is getting at uh, the young right back for NYCFC. So I mean, uh, Tavon Gray, uh, we'll see what Tavon Gray can do. I mean, he's shown some good things. Uh, his matchup against Atlanta United, he's, he was great. Uh, obviously, he had he uh, he did well against New England uh, early on, so he he's really risen to the challenge in the playoffs. Um, and this is going to be another big test for him, for the youngster. Uh, and obviously, when you think about some of the other players on NYCFC, like look at James Sands, uh, who obviously is a big big part of what they do. Uh, he is he's going to be a force in the middle. When you think about Diego Chara, the the, the Timbers the Timbers uh, midfielder. Uh, who's just an absolute bull in the middle, um, just being able to control things, being able to get out on the counter. And that's another thing, the Timbers in their counter. Uh, will they be able to punish NYCFC? If NYCFC gets a little too aggressive, puts too many numbers forward, can the Timbers win that battle in the middle and beat them on the counter, get on the counter and get Blanco uh, and Mora and their attack putting shots on Sean Johnson. So for me, I think it's going to be a great final. I think it's going to be back and forth, and I think we're going to see goals. I don't think we're going to see a 0-0, knock on wood. I hope I'm not jinxing it, but I do think we're going to see a, see plenty of goals. And um, I, I don't know if I want to make a prediction yet, but right now, I mean, I think it's it, the safer pick is to pick the Timbers just because they're at home. If Blanco's healthy with Gio, Gio Savarese pulling the strings, I have to go with the Timbers. But it's it's so close. It's it's one of the closer finals that I can remember. Um, that at least going into it, when you think about the matchup, for me it's very close. And I'm gonna go with Timbers. I'll say two one Timbers. Uh, Sebastian Blanco with a winner, uh, just because he is just he's 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 a terror. He he steps it up, and uh, I think he does it again if he's 100 percent if he's available if he starts. Now if Blanco doesn't start or if Blanco you know can't play the you know a, a good number of minutes then that's different then you give the edge to NYCFC absolutely so we'll see what happens it should be a great one uh, and it should be a memorable night in Portland in other MLS news Don Garber gave his uh, state of the league address on oh I believe it's Wednesday uh, he, it's it's the annual uh, address that the commissioner gives uh, right before MLS Cup, and the the big headline from from the latest was uh, the update on expansion. And Las Vegas has emerged as the front runner for the thirtieth expansion spot. And you know it's not it's not completely surprising. Uh, Las Vegas had had for some time now been mentioned as a possibility. I think the big 
development over the past year or so has been the fact that Sacramento has completely fallen out of the picture, uh, so much so that Don Garber didn't even mention Sacramento when he was talking about uh, possible candidates. You know, he talked about, he was asked flat out, is Las Vegas the front runner, the favorite? And he said yes. Uh, and then he, he also mentioned Phoenix. He mentioned San Diego. There, there's obviously some other options. And MLS always likes to keep its options open. They don't like putting all their eggs in one basket, if, especially if things fall through, as we've seen with Sacramento. And Las Vegas is an interesting one. There, there, there were a few ownership groups in in play there that we're looking, uh, but it looks it definitely looks like right now there is one clear-cut uh, ownership group, and I think that's probably helping. Uh, Las Vegas, in terms of just MLS kind of focusing its energies on one group, one project, and right now Las Vegas could very well get an MLS team, and that's kind of crazy to think about. I don't know if I'd ever imagined that, that something like that happening, but here we are. Um, and also it sounds like they would definitely get their own stadium. Um, and not necessarily just play at a Allegiant Stadium, the big uh, uh, Las Vegas Raiders Stadium, where the Gold Cup final was held this summer. Um, so that won't it, not surprising to me. I mean, we, we we've seen the the, the success of, of the Las Vegas Lights in terms of uh, the fans that they've been able to attract to the to the USL team there. There is a there is a, an appetite for for soccer in Las Vegas, and uh, as my as my guy Hercules Gomez would love to to, to attest. Um, he's from there. He's from Las Vegas. But uh, you know, I th- I'm interested to see how it plays out and how how what that turns into. I mean, we've seen Las we've seen Las Vegas really become a sports town now. After you know, was it five plus years ago? As recently as what you know, was it five ten years ago? They had no teams. You know, now they have the Vegas Golden Knights in the NHL. Uh, they've had great success there. We've obviously seen the Las Vegas Raiders now move in. Uh, so NFL is in Las Vegas. So you have NHL, you have NFL in Las Vegas now. So it is a pro sports town. And it's showing with those teams that, you know what, you can succeed there. You can have uh, consistent support there. You can build the fan base there. You can obviously tap into the, the tourist market to, to, to also fill your games. So it, it, it makes all the sense in the world financially. Uh, it was always about, you know, could you get the right ownership group in there to, uh, to, to handle it? And to to you know make it happen, and I think that we're at that point now. And Las Vegas is looking very good for team number thirty. Um, no, I am not going to move to Las Vegas if they get a team, um, unless unless my wife kicks me out of the house, or, or if we move to Vegas, I would probably get kicked out of the house because I'd probably spend a little too much time at the poker tables. But um, I'm looking forward to it, seeing if they actually get it done. Um, obviously, Phoenix is another market that I think is an interesting one. San Diego for some time now, you know, has tried to to make things happen, to pull all the right strings, to to make uh, MLS a reality. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked out yet to this point. Um, does that mean it'll never happen? I don't. It's tough to say. But obviously, with Las Vegas now stepping into into this into this lead in the race, if Las Vegas does get that team, it's going to make it that much tougher for San Diego for Phoenix. At least in the standpoint of that, they're going to have to wait because obviously, you know, MLS has talked about 30 teams. Do you go beyond that? Do you stay at 30? Could you potentially move another team uh, out of their current market into a San Diego, into a Phoenix? I mean, at that point, if you want to stay to 30, then prospective markets would have to then start looking at those markets where maybe the ownership groups aren't happy or, you know, the it, it, they're not succeeding. Um, but first things first, Getting Team 30 
and it's looking right now like it's going to be Las Vegas. Some other big MLS news, the, the league announced that they are, are creating and launching a new third division league, will, which will basically serve as a, uh, as a development setup uh, for the young talent passing through the academy. Um, and it's going to be a league that's obviously in the third tier. You have the USL Championship currently in the second tier, and then you have uh, NISA and uh, the USL, the other, the lower division of the USL. And now you will have uh, this new league, which will be called MLS Next Pro. And it's going to have the MLS affiliates that previously played in the USL. They're now moving into this league. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see. It's a, it's, it's on the surface. It sounds like it's a great opportunity because you're going to be able to give players, young players, some real structure in terms of how they make that, that, uh, progress and they follow that path from the academy to the, the first division to the, to the first team. I mean, you're already seeing some teams that are pretty good at, at, at getting that talent from the academy to their first teams. This is just an, another step in that process. And we're going to see what kind of soccer it produces and if it will be more than just a development, uh, a piece of the development puzzle, if it'll actually be able to uh, produce the type of soccer that, that will in itself drive fans and in itself build fan bases. Because, I mean, uh, you know, you, you want to see that. You want to see, uh, you want to have more opportunities for fans to go watch uh, quality soccer in person. So uh, I'm curious to see how this goes. And not only players, you're talking coaches as well. Uh, having more opportunities for coaches to develop. Um, and, and we'll see. We'll see how this league goes. It's uh, it's early days, but obviously the league is really, uh, MLS is really putting uh, all of its resources into making this happen. And and it, we'll see. Because in the end, the, the goal is to help speed up that de that development process. of Because obviously you have those elite level talents who, who they can make that direct jump from the academy to the first team uh, to then Europe or, or what have you. Whereas maybe some players that need some more time to develop, now they have this opportunity to go through this pathway. And you know what? I'm going to be very interested to see what happens, how that impacts the college game. I mean, honestly, we've already seen the college game go away from the American player. There are fewer and fewer American players featuring in prominent roles in the elite of American college soccer, which is kind of crazy to think about, right? The fact that now you're seeing more and more uh, the, the big college teams relying on foreign players because foreign players are coming over looking for opportunities and they have, you know, they come with that talent, whereas the top American talent more and more often is now going into the academy system or into the player development system in MLS. They're skipping college. Um, so there is that talent void that needs to be filled and it's being filled by foreign players. And if you're an MLS team, and you, you know, you you really can't go fill your your roster with foreign college players when you only have a certain number of foreign player slots. You're gonna go get established professional foreign players with those foreign player slots. You're not gonna necessarily spend those slots on foreign college talents. So what you need to do is develop your own talent, your own homegrown talent. And now this new league is gonna help teams, hopefully, help teams do that. And just another little uh, MLS, somewhat MLS-related side note, Julian Araujo made his Mexico debut, uh, the LA Galaxy uh, fullback, who made the switch from the United States to Mexico to represent the Mexican national team, uh, got to start in, uh, in Mexico's uh, year-ending draw against Chile. He played, and Efrain Alvarez uh, 
also played in that game. Uh, one player who didn't get called up was uh, David Ochoa. A little surprising to me uh, that he would not get the call, although obviously he's coming off a very long season. Maybe he's just ready for the break, and uh, hopefully his opportunity with Mexico comes sooner than later. Obviously, he, he really made a name for himself in the playoffs. Um, this has really been a breakout year for David Ochoa. Obviously, it's uh, it's still resonating, the fact that he... He went from being on the U.S. men's national team roster for the Nations League to deciding, you know what, I feel more comfortable playing for Mexico. And Mexico hasn't returned the favor yet. They haven't reciprocated the love by calling him in yet. But you have to think it's a matter of time if he continues to play and develop the way he has already been playing and developing. Um, for me, I, I, I'll say it. I said it before. I'll say it again. It's, it's disappointing to me that he is not playing for Mexico now. I mean, not playing for the United States now. Um, I think he's a real talent. But the U.S. will be okay. There, there's plenty. Of, there is goalkeeping talent in the pipeline. Uh, right now, you look at the U.S. camp. You have Gaga Slanina, who uh, only 17 and already showing some really, really impressive potential uh, and talent. So, I think the U.S. goalkeeper, goalkeeper pool is going to be okay right now between Zach Steffen, Matt Turner. Uh, you, you need Ethan Horvath to start playing some games, uh, but. I think I think the the goalkeeping pool is is doing okay right now. Although for me, it would be a little better if they still had a Choa, but these things happen. He made his choice, and and I think the U.S. will be okay. Now moving on to Americans abroad and the real nitty gritty that I'm sure uh, a lot of the listeners were waiting to hear about, and that is uh, the <laughs> the European soccer American coaching pipeline. You saw one coach leave and one coach arrive in Europe. And the coach that left is Jesse Marsh, uh, who was let go by RB Leipzig. Uh, he's been fired after a, a poor start to the season for RB Leipzig and Bundesliga play, actually both in Bundesliga and in Champions League. Uh, RB Leipzig did not qualify for the round of 16 in the Champions League. Obviously, they were in basic, uh, they were in a group with Manchester City and PSG, so that was always going to be tough. But their poor results in the Bundesliga ultimately doomed Jesse Marsh. And we've seen a lot of reporting in the in the wake of that, kind of laying out the why, kind of laying out the what went wrong and what is going wrong at RB Leipzig, and that that got it to this point. And there was a very good piece in the Athletic, uh, but I think it was Raphael Honigstein who who really broke it down. I thought in a very good way, just kind of la- kind of laying out the fact that as as much as uh, I'm sure a lot of people thought it was a golden opportunity and a great situation for Jesse Marsh to walk into. There were a lot of issues at RB Leipzig, and it wasn't the it wasn't the perfect opportunity that maybe some people thought it was. And I, and I think even Jesse Marsh himself was fully aware of this. I think he knew that it was a risk. He knew that there were some issues there. The, you know, the team not having a sporting director, the team uh, selling some of its best players and not necessarily replacing them. Uh, so th- th- there was there was the opportunity there. There was a possibility there for things to go wrong, and they did. And I think I think it I can't imagine it was a complete surprise to Jesse Marsh. I think he went into it with his eyes wide open. It's an opportunity you can't say no to. You take it, but you take it knowing that it's not ideal. And and obviously, as American coaches, you you you're gonna there aren't a million opportunities for American coaches in Europe. So when an opportunity comes along, you take it. Just like Bob Bradley when he when he took over the Swansea job. I mean, the Swansea job wasn't this perfect opportunity with a great team stacked roster i mean it was a, there were a lot of issues there but bob bradley you know what it's a premier league i have a chance to coach in a premier league i'm going to coach in a premier league same thing with jesse marsh 
I have a chance to be coaching the Bundesliga, a team, top team in the Bundesliga, Champions League. I know there's issues there. I know the team has gotten rid of some top players. I know I'm stepping in for a coach that I need to, you know, teach the team how to play my way instead of the, the way that he 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 taught the team. And that was another one of the issues, apparently, is that obviously Julian Nagelsmann's approach was different than Jesse Marsh's. And it, it took it was a challenge for him to get the team to buy into his approach. Uh, and ultimately, it didn't really work out. So I think Jesse Marsh is going to be okay. He's going to get a job. Uh, I think he's shown enough, obviously, in his time with Salzburg. Uh, I think he showed that he can be a very good coach. And I, I firmly believe he will get another opportunity um, to, to show that he can uh, do his thing on that level. Um, and it's just, it's kind of crazy that on the same week and just a few days apart where Jesse Marsh is out at RB Leipzig, his former assistant coach and successor with the New York Red Bulls, Chris Armas, is hired by Manchester United. And I know... People are going to be like, what in the heck? How in the world did this happen? What? Well, I'm sure by now you, you you probably have read the stories and understand it a little more. But basically what it boils down to is Ralph Rangnick is t- has taken over as Manchester United manager. And he, he needs a coaching staff. And he needs coaches that, can, that, that buy into his system, that understand his high-pressing system, and can, and, and can be effective assistant coaches. And also, who happen to speak English. Chris Armas happens to speak English. <clears throat> he knows the, the the Red Bull system. He knows that high-pressing system. Uh, so he actually is a very good fit for what Ralph Rangnick needed. Uh, I did think it was interesting that Gerhard Struber, Gerhard Struber, the New York Red Bulls head coach, was also mentioned as, a, as someone who Rangnick was interested in bringing in. Uh, Struber's come out and said that he turned down the opportunity to join Manchester United, uh, which is interesting. Um but Chris Armas has gotten this opportunity. And if you're Chris Armas, I mean, how do you say no to Manchester United, right? And before anyone says, oh, well, he didn't have a job anyway, what is he supposed to do? Uh, actually, my understanding is that he very well could have been been a, a very top candidate for one of the currently available MLS head coaching jobs. And there are some jobs still open right now. Houston Dynamo, FC Cincinnati, Real Salt Lake, all three of those jobs are open right now. And if Chris Armas were available, I think he'd be a very good candidate for one of those positions, but obviously you get this opportunity, even if it's only for half a season, you get this opportunity, you take it, and that's what that's Chris Armas has done, and now we have an American assistant coach at Master at Manchester United, and who would have seen that uh, two months ago? So congratulations to Chris Armas. I know I've I've been on I've gone on record on this show saying that I feel like he got a raw deal both at the Red Bulls and at Toronto FC. So I think it's great to see him get this opportunity to once again show that he can be a very good coach. And obviously, it's different being an assistant and being a head coach. But I think he's a very good coach. And hopefully, this opportunity opens some doors for him and also helps him improve as a coach. Because you're getting an opportunity to, to work with some of the best players in the world on one of the, on one of the biggest, if not the biggest team in the world. So... Um, uh, you know, one of the most followed for sure. So it, it's a great opportunity, and I'm looking forward to seeing what Man United does with Ragnick in charge and what sort of role Chris Armas plays in that because it's a, it's a golden opportunity for Chris Armas. In other Americans abroad news, Weston McKinney is back uh, training with Juventus. Obviously, he missed a few games with the, the injury he suffered recently, and um, 
it's good news to hear that he's back and that he might have an opportunity to get back on the field before the end of the year for Juventus. Juventus, which just, by the way, won their group in the Champions League. They finished ahead of Chelsea, who who dropped some points in the last match day in the group stage. And now Juventus is actually in the in first place and will go into the, the, the first place pot for the draw for the round of 16. And Chelsea and Christian Pulisic finished second. And now they go into the second place pot, which is going to make for some potentially interesting round of 16 matchups for Pulisic and Chelsea. Uh, there is one more match. Uh, Juventus plays uh, this weekend. McKinney isn't expected to play then, but Juventus plays on December 19th. Uh, that's going to be a big one. And uh, hopefully McKinney can be back for that. He's obviously been so such a big part of, uh, of Juventus this season under Max Allegri. Um, and it's great that he's back, at least training, and that this hasn't become a long-term thing. As we know, World Cup qualifying is around the corner, so you don't want you don't want any of the U.S. the top U.S. players to have any issues uh, heading into the new year. But one American who is having a few issues in Europe is John Brooks, and uh, he's uh, there's reports out of uh, Germany that you know things are things are not looking great at Wolfsburg. Obviously, he uh, he had a, a rough match a week ago, and he was basically benched by Wolfsburg in uh, Florian Kohfeldt, the, the the new relatively new manager, benched him for Wolfsburg uh, Wolfsburg's big Champions League match uh, this past week, and now come reports saying that you know his ta- uh, conversations over a contract have stalled between Brooks and Wolfsburg, and it's looking more and more like we could see Wolfsburg. Uh, part ways with Brooks or Brooks leave basically if his contract runs out in the summer you have to think that there, there are going to be opportunities for him on the open market uh, a player with his quality as much as it's been an up and down year for him this season this season's been an up and down season but it was just last season when John Brooks was outstanding and was a big part in Wolfsburg finishing in the top four and earning a place in the Champions League now obviously things didn't go so well in the Champions League Wolfsburg finished in fourth place in their group, uh, but John Brooks, uh, keep an eye on that because you just wonder, you know, if things, if it gets to a point where he isn't even playing uh, come the new year, if Wolfsburg and Kofeld decide, hey, you know what, we're, if, since he, we know he's not coming back next year, let's start playing other guys. Uh, we've seen it time and again, that type of situation play out, and it's unfortunate uh, but hopefully for John Brooks's sake, uh, he can keep playing, he can get back in the lineup, and he can go into the new year still playing and finishing out what could be his last season as Wolfsburg as a starter. Because obviously, if he ends up stuck on the bench at Wolfsburg, that's really going to you know put a, a major dent in his chances of getting back in with the U.S. men's national team. And it, it's interesting that when he was first snubbed by the U.S. national team, when Greg Berhalter chose not to bring him in for the November qualifiers, John Brooks was in the midst of starting to really play well. He responded well when Florian Kohfeldt first took over. He had some very good matches, but now things have soured a bit, and now you just wonder what's going what's going on there. What will Brooks do? Will he stay at Wolfsburg? At this point, it looks like he's gone come the summer, but will he leave sooner? And if he doesn't, could he end up stuck on the bench and therefore wind up on the outside looking in with the U.S. men's national team. So that's definitely one you're going to want to keep an eye on just because of, obviously, the U.S. Uh, that the U.S. did okay without him in November. Walker Zimmerman has really stepped up. Uh, Miles Robinson, as we know, has had a great year. Chris Richards is coming along. Uh, but, you know, you want John Brooks playing. You want him to be an option. You want him to be in good form. 
so you can have the op- the option to bring him in. So I think that's definitely one that everyone, every U.S. fan is going to want to be paying attention to. And now for some good news on the Americans Abroad Front. Richie Ledesma is back in action. Uh, the American midfielder who suffered a torn ACL last year is back with PSV, uh, the Dutch power. Uh, he's not with the first team yet. He's taken that first step of getting on the field with young PSV, uh, the PSV second team. And his first match looked very good. He, he had the, created the most chances for his team uh, in starting and showed well for uh, young PSV manager Ruud van Nistelrooy, who obviously knows Richie Ledesma well, rates him highly. Um, so that was obviously, a, a, that was great to see because Richie Ledesma is such a talented player. And to be clear, he's not cap tied. He, he did make his U.S. men's national team debut in 2019. He had two assists. Uh, still remember that. We know what he did in the under-20 World Cup. He, he's, a, he's a great talent, um, very talented midfielder. Um, but he could, I believe he can still represent Mexico. Um, but that's for right now, that's not much of an issue. The, the, the issue now is him just getting back on the field and re, regaining the momentum that was halted when he suffered the injury. Because for those who don't remember, he was starting to break through with the PSV first team right before he got injured. He was started, He had taken that step from John PSV to PSV, making his debut and really looking like he could be a real, he could step into the first team and get and have a role with the PSV first team. Unfortunately, the injury set him back uh, a year, but here he is back now, and hopefully we see him in action, and hopefully we see him with the PSV first team in 2022. Now, before we wrap up the show, we I, I did want to touch on the U.S. men's national team a bit. They're they're going through their training camp uh, in California ahead of their friendly against Bosnia, uh, and there were some announcements in terms of player of the year finalists were announced for, for U.S. soccer for the men's and for the women. On the men's side, you had Weston McKinney, Christian Pulisic, Brendan Aronson, Kellen Acosta, Matt Turner, and Miles Robinson. Those are your finalists. And the interesting development on that is fans, for the first time, will be able to vote in in that contest. Uh, they'll be able to represent a portion of the voter, the voting for selecting the player of the year. And there's, a, there's some good candidates there. It's going to be some interesting decisions to make there. I, I'm not. I'm not going to tell you guys. Just yet, who my pick is, uh, I think next episode we'll get into that a bit. But, I mean, I, I got to think the favorites are McKinney and Pulisic. I know Matt Turner's had a great year. Miles Robinson had a great year. But just in terms of n- not just men's national team contribution, but European success and success at those high levels, you kind of have to give the edge to the guy who won the Champions League title in Christian Pulisic and the guy who has is, is really established himself in Serie A with Juventus in Weston McKinney. Uh, and both who have made big plays and had big matches for the U.S. in 2021. So I think those are the favorites. Um, I'll get into my pick next episode. Um, but I think all, all, all these candidates are pretty solid. Um, I think Kellen Acosta, obviously, he's the one where you're kind of like, you know what, he's he's probably sixth on the ballot of the six. But obviously, being the Iron Man for the team and playing, I believe, every match of the year or pretty close to it, uh, that's an accomplishment in itself. But... You know, Brendan Aronson, great year, uh, real breakout year, building on his impressive 2020 with with the Union. And then obviously, Miles Robinson, who we've known for some time, and anyone who follows MLS known for some time that he can play, but now he really showed that he can play at a high level for the national team. And now has established himself as, you could argue, the current number one center back in the U.S. pool right now. And that that's a big step 
for Miles Robinson. So some pretty good candidates there. Uh, as far as the women go, you have uh, Carly Lloyd, Lindsey Horan, Megan Rapino, Rose Lavelle, uh, Alyssa Nair. Those are your finalists for the women. And, uh, and, and another award that you want to keep an eye on, the Young Player of the Year with Yunus Musa, Ricardo Pepe, Gianluca Busio, George Bello, and Jesus Ferreira. Now, that's a pretty good combo right there. Uh, and then once again, I think there are two clear favorites in Yunus Musa and Ricardo Pepe. Uh, Gianluca Busio has, has obviously done great to settle into a starting role at Venezia since he made the move to Serie A. But in terms of com- the, the combination of, of club exploits and national team success in 2021, obviously Ricardo Pepe establishing himself as the starting striker for the senior team. Yunus Musa establishing himself as the regular uh, first choice central midfielder for the, for the senior national team. I think those are your two. Those are your two favorites, and uh, we'll get again. I'm not gonna make my pick on this episode. I'll wait till next episode, uh, but I am curious to hear what people think as far as who they have number one on their ballots for these awards. And I think that wraps it up. I think we've touched on all the topics I wanted to get into on this episode. Once again, apologies for not having two episodes this week. The week just it was just a crazy one, and obviously having to travel out to Portland uh, on Thursday uh, kind of shook things up. And uh, I'm recording this today. I was hoping to, to do it during the week. I was hoping to have two episodes this week, but obviously it didn't work out that way. But um, now with this MLS Cup trip in the books, uh, once I head back home, things will get back to a bit more sense of normalcy heading into the, to the new year. We'll have the U.S. men's national team friendly against Bosnia to close up the year next week. Uh, and then before you know it, the MLS draft will be here and we will definitely start digging into the MLS draft. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea. But we, but as those of you who follow SBI have followed SBI for years know, we always try to really dig into the MLS draft and give people a, 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 an outlet where they can, you know, get some info on the on the draft and see if there's potential there, if there are players there that can help their teams. And you know, there, there's there are, as there's every year, there's always prospects, there's always talent there. The question is, which teams are going to find those gems, those diamonds in the rough, those Daryl Dikes, uh, those Henry Kesslers. Um, so we'll see those Alistair Johnstons. So um, those Tejon Buchanan's. <laughs> so, you know, we'll see if that, there, there's that talent, that type of talent again. But um, but I think that's it for this episode. Uh, I'm in Portland. If you're listening to this episode and you happen to live in Portland and you want to shoot me some recommendations on Twitter, please let me know. I'm here till Sunday. Uh, I might be here till I'm technically here till Sunday night, um, but I'm trying to see about changing my flight to get out of here on Sunday morning. Um but who knows? I mean, I really like Portland. I'm a fan. Um, I actually hadn't been here since 2014, since the MLS All-Star Game. But before that, between 2013 and 2014, uh, I had been to Portland, I don't know, five, six times. Uh, I did a big story on Caleb Porter, and, and I was out here multiple times in 2013, um, his first season in Portland. Uh, and great, I had just amazing times, amazing people. Um, it's a great city, and they do love, absolutely love their soccer and they support it like few people do. And uh, we'll see that this weekend. We'll see that on Saturday in what should be an epic final. I'm looking forward to it. And as, as is the, always the case with MLS Cup, I always look forward to, to seeing people from around the country who, who follow, support, and cover MLS. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tight-knit community uh, for those of us who've covered the league for so long. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to this final. It should be a good one. And uh, we'll see who celebrates. We'll see if it's NYCFC celebrating all the way across the country or we'll or we'll see if the timbers get to celebrate 
a title at home in front of their home fans. And if that happens, I cannot even imagine what the scenes are going to be like. Either way, either way, it's going to be a good one. So looking forward to it. But that's it uh, for now. Definitely thank you for listening. I'll be back next week to break it down, to break down the MLS Cup final, as well as digging into the latest in Americans abroad. And we will start ramping up ahead of the last U.S. Men's National Team game of the year. We'll definitely have coverage of that. Get some interviews in there as well. But that's all for now. From Portland, I'm Ivis Galarsa. This is The SBI Show.